In a few weeks from today, we're going to have a baptism in Lake Michigan. If you've not been baptized as a believer, we want to encourage you to obey the scriptural commands of repent, believe, and be baptized. You can come speak with me. You can come speak with one of our pastor, Pastor John, or email the church office. We'd love to baptize you in a few weeks from today. I'm just curious if you guys have even noticed or are enjoying the new cushions on the pews. Yes, for those of you who are new, we've been actually suffering and sitting on the hardwood. And now we have these nice cushions, which we did not even provide. We just showed up and wham, there they were. So, If you're new here this morning, you may be wondering, what is this church all about? Like, what is your vision statement or what's your mission statement, and I'm sorry we don't have one. I don't want to disappoint you, but we're not speaking in vision statements and mission statements. We like to speak in terms of ethos. And when we talk about ethos, we talk about uh, who we are and who we want to become. And we want a certain ethos to shape our church culture and our church community. And this ethos guides us in the decisions that we make of what we're going to do and what we're not going to do and where we're going to push forward and where we're going to pull back. And, and these, this ethos is, is we, we kind of condense it into something we call ethos statements. Now, I know for those of you who've been here for a while, you may not have these ethos statements memorized in your heart. But if you've been here long enough, you have felt these ethos statements, you have seen them in action, you have experienced them. What we typically do on a Sunday morning is we preach through books of the Bible. We just finished the book of Second Peter. This fall, we're going to go through the whole book of Proverbs throughout the whole year. No joke. Get ready. But for now, we are taking a break and pausing and considering our church's ethos and ethos statements. And we've done this from time to time, about three to four times, I think, to be exact. And what we're trying to do is just keep us on the right track to remind us, what are we doing again? Where are we going again? Why are we doing what we're doing? But this time around, after several years of asking the congregation to help me out with these ethos statements, we've actually created pictures to go along with each statement. So for those of you who are are rather artsy and like to think through these things in art, we've been working on this for a long time. This This is what we've come up with. And some of the images will be explained from week to week to week. But for this morning, I'm just going to run through all of them. And you can see the image with the doctrinal comment that we have there. So let's start with the first one of humble orthodoxy. That's what we're going to consider today. The next one. Abiding worship. And the third one is missional community. Invested sojourners. And the last one is pervasive gospel. And this morning we're going to look at humble orthodoxy, our whole morning. So we're going to go ahead and just kind of just put this up for you and leave this up for you. And I'm going to try to explain the image. There are people that can explain these much better than I can. But let's start by looking at this. This is actually an image of an anchor. And the idea is that the anchor of God's truth is what keeps us rooted and grounded. We are living in this culture where we're being uh, 
thrown to and and fro, and we are anchored in God's truth, the truth of his word, the orthodoxy. And and this keeps us humble because it's not, we don't anchor ourselves. We don't have our own thoughts and ideas. We humbly submit to God's truth, and it holds us firm in these rough seas. But ultimately, if you also look at the anchor, it's in the image of a cross, which goes to show you that it's the gospel the truth of Jesus Christ dying for our sins and his glorious resurrection and the great forgiveness that the gospel is our ultimate anchor. So this morning, the passage we're going to look at that displays this humble orthodoxy is in the book of First Peter. Let's go ahead and turn there. We've been in Second Peter for most of the summer, so hopefully you can find First Peter. We're in First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. And let's go ahead and stand as I read verses 13 through 17. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts... Regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You may be seated. Since we are going to deal with humble orthodoxy today, I'm going to present a scenario to you that may make you feel a bit uncomfortable, maybe difficult to navigate. But hey, we're serious about engaging with true things uh, from the Word with the culture. So I think that you're mature enough to handle it. Please don't throw things at me if you get upset. So here we go. There is a national controversy that is playing out in our backyard of Chicago. It, is a, it may be kind of a, a new thing to those in uh, Chicago that there is a restaurant called Chick-fil-A. You're familiar with it. I'm from the south, huge down there. Came here in Chicago, and now we like to eat their chicken. Well, apparently, the president of Chick-fil-A restaurants made a statement regarding that he believes that marriage should only be between a man and a woman, and his statements even talked about being against gay marriage. Now, once this happened, I think it was the alderman in Chicago of where Chick-fil-A was going to be built, said, no, 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 we will not accept people with those views in our neighborhood. So, no, you cannot build a Chick-fil-A here. And so it's, it's blown up nationally. There's some issues in Boston as well. And what's happened since then is that people have been taking sides. So if you've been paying attention at all to the news, you'll see that this past Wednesday, those who are supportive of Chick-fil-A lined up a long way to go and buy chicken sandwiches at their restaurant. And then that was Wednesday. On Friday... Those who are against Chick-fil-A, members of the gay and lesbian community, not all of them, but many of them decided that they had a scheduled kiss-in outside of the restaurant 
in protest to their view. Let's just say you're at work or you're at school or you're in your neighborhood and your classmates or your neighbors or your coworkers are just irate about this. And they know in some way, shape, or form that you are a Christian. And they're mad not only what's happening, they're also mad at Christians in general and sort of mad at you. And so they come up to you and they say, what do you think? What is your opinion on what is going on? What do you say? Humble orthodoxy. What we're going to do, we're going to keep this scenario in mind. And hopefully the text will come a little bit more alive as we start talking about how we engage our culture with humble orthodoxy. What does that look like? What do you say? Let's look. Let's understand the context of First Peter. Church is undergoing suffering for being Christians. And Peter, he's writing an encouragement to them to press on in faithfulness with their eyes fixed on the Lord and their eternal home. And so this is the context of suffering. Now understand that what we face here is not a lot of the physical suffering that they were facing there or many face throughout the world. But understand this. Some of the suffering they're facing in this context is slander. So I think the verbal slander can apply in our context. So let's jump in with verse 13. Peter says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now when you first read that verse, you think, Oh, Peter must be saying that if we're good people, in general, people won't mess with us. So if we're nice little Christians, people will be nice back to us. No, 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 no. That's not what he's getting at. That may be a true statement in general with our society. Nice people get nice things. But on a whole, if you read the New Testament, Christians should expect to be, have pushback, to have some type of pushback, persecution, physical or, or, or emotional or verbal. And also, I want you to set this verse in context. Jump back to verse 12. Can you do that? Just look at the context. Verse 12 says this. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So the context here is that God's eyes of favor on those who uh, are believers, who do right, but his judgment is against the evildoer who's bringing the heat against the believer. So if we jump back to verse 13, you will note that it's not just saying if you're a good person, you'll generally avoid suffering. No, it's saying that when suffering comes to you as a believer, it won't ultimately harm you. Do you get that? Do you get that? If someone is slandering you or pushing back on your faith, it will not ultimately harm you because why? Well, God is for you. You have his favor. And this is a common theme throughout the Bible. For example, in the Old Testament, Psalm 56.4 says, In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And in the New Testament, Romans 8.31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
So throughout the Bible, you have a common theme is that what can man or women ultimately do to you? You can say, well, they can kill me. Well, that's the worst, okay? That's no ultimate harm. You're still saved with the Lord forever, even if you face physical death. So they can't do ultimate harm. But the reality is, in this world, you will suffer for being a Christian. And when you do, you need to have a certain mindset. Look at verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So as you walk with the Lord and do the right thing, you're going to encounter suffering. Like I said, it won't be to the extent that many face around the world, but there is suffering even in our context and opposition. And the Bible says you will be blessed. Let's do a little flashback here to one of Jesus' statements on the Sermon on the Mount. He said this in Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm just setting the context here. And I know it's hard to believe, but the reality is, if you are a believer, you will face some type of pushback and opposition, even in our culture. Now, I know we like to think, especially in this urban context we live in, and many of you work in the city in this urban context, that that we want to get to a point where Christianity is so cool that people won't say anything bad about us. I mean, you got to admit, a, a lot of you are just cool urban Christians. Some of you are cool, urban, you may even call yourself a hipster Christian, which is fine, which is fine, right? That's fine. But but do you really think that that Christianity has got to be kind of just this kind of cool thing, that we're so cool that that no one's ever going to do anything to hurt us or push back against us? That's just not the case. I don't care how cool we get. Our message thrown out in the world is not very cool. So we can dress cool. And I, I try to dress cool. I want to dress cool. But no matter how cool I dress, and I know I don't dress very cool, but I want to get better. But, but it's still a message. It's not cool. And there's going to be pushback. And there's going to be opposition. So don't think that in our coolness that we're going to avoid suffering because we're not. Jesus said it is coming. It's going to come. And it will surprise you in a variety of contexts context that it will come because it's the, the gospel that is at times very offensive. So that's our context. Look at verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Let's stop there. So, People are not the Lord. The Lord is the Lord, and he's in control of the context of the heat that's coming against us. So we're to honor him as Lord. Okay, people aren't Lord. They're going to pass something. The Lord will never pass something. But we're also to honor him as holy, which means that we are people set apart for him. We want to live for him. We're not here to please other people, which means that as we live in this world and we face opposition and disagreement with other people, Part of the way that we honor Christ as holy is that we represent him rightly from his word. 
If you are not representing God rightly from his word, but you, you just have your own personal opinion, you are not setting apart the Lord as holy in your heart. And part of setting the Lord, yourself apart to the Lord as holy is opening your mouth and having a conversation about the gospel. Look again at verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That's the orthodoxy piece. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. That's the humility piece. So let's start with the orthodoxy piece. For those of you here, you have no idea what orthodoxy means. It's just, maybe it's a scary word for you. Basically, what we're meaning by the word orthodoxy is that we believe what the Bible says. All right, that's what we're going to, that's our definition of orthodoxy. Whatever the Bible says, that's the orthodoxy. And Peter is making this presentation to his church, and he says, look again in verse 15. He says, be prepared to make a defense now, the word defense is where we get our word apology, or better known as an apo- uh, ap- apologetics. You've ever heard of an apologist, right? And I've always been confused by that word, especially when I was younger. Like, what is an apologist? Is that someone walking around apologizing for all the wrong that they have done? No, that's not an apologist. An apologist is someone who's making a defense, a defense of the faith, a defense of the orthodoxy, a defense of the gospel truth. So Peter says, get ready to make a defense. And the, one of the ways we get ready to make defense is that we know the Word of God. We know what God's truth says. We want to study it. We want the Bible to impact us. So we don't want to just, um, just read over and gloss over it, but we really want to be serious studiers of the Word. Now, what I'm about to do is I'm about to show you a quote. I rarely show you these kind of quotes because I rarely quote C.S. Lewis. I like the guy, but I don't want to quote him all the time. But right now, I'm going to show you a quote by C.S. Lewis. It's pretty powerful. Let's put it up. He says, God is no fonder of intellectual slackers than of any other slackers. If you are thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you that you are embarking on something which is going to take the whole of you, brains and all. This context, compared to a lot of the contexts throughout the country, for whatever reason, is full of intellectuals. Many of you are associated with university or some other university. It's a very intellectual community where you discipline yourselves and you work hard at your major or your trade or your job. You're not a slacker. But sometimes, when it comes to the Word of God, you're just a slacker. Just admit it. You want a book that's called five-minute devotions, right? You want your five-minute, feel good, move on, positive thought for the day. You're just a slacker. Just admit it, okay? You don't slack in other areas, but we're talking about your spiritual life. And Peter's saying, be ready for defense. Don't be a slacker when it comes to God's Word. You know what you're going to say, and the only way you know what you're going to say is you've got to know the Word. And the way you know the Word, you've got to study the Word. You have no excuse. You can read, you can study, you have the Word. Don't be a slacker when it comes to the Word of God. Be ready for defense. And then Peter says, you must always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you. 
Now, some of you may think, that just has not happened to me yet. No one has ever come up to me and say, excuse me, can you give me a reason for the hope that is in you? Right? You're like, never heard it before? Right? No, no, it doesn't have to be those exact words. It can be expressed a thousand different ways. People can come up to you and say, man, you sure are different than other people. What's up with that? Or, hey, I kind of know what your beliefs are because you just seem like you hold something else and do other things. Or they may come up to you and say, hey, what do you think about this Chick-fil-A thing? I mean, there, there could be a thousand different ways that people seek to engage you on spiritual conversations. And Peter says, you've got to be ready. Be ready with a defense. Be ready to speak up. And that, that's the orthodoxy piece, to speak up from the Word of God. That's the orthodoxy piece. But now we have the humble piece. Keep looking. Let's look at the humble piece. Verse 15. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Humility is expressed in gentleness and respect. Basically, if you start going off on somebody, you're wasting an opportunity. Believers are not to lash out. We're not to, to dominate someone else, but let God work through us and through our words on the hearts of someone else. Because the words we speak are not God's words. They're not our words. They are God's words. And they're not about us being some awesome Christian. It's about God being an awesome God. And so we want to represent God as his messengers and speak his truth. And we want to do this in humility, with gentleness and respect. So basically, there's the whole message. You got it? We need both orthodoxy, humility. We need humble orthodoxy. But here's the problem. Every single person in here doesn't always get it right. You know, there's always been this comment about, you know, you ride a horse, you want to stay in the middle. But every single one of us struggles sometimes on falling off the horse either one way or another. We either struggle with the orthodoxy piece or we struggle with the humility piece. For there are some in here who are really strong in orthodoxy, but you struggle with humility. And so if someone comes up to you in your work and they ask you the Chick-fil-A question, what do you think? You are very aggressive. And you look as a great opportunity to win an argument. And you're proud. And you're like, I'm so glad you asked. Because here I come. And you start talking stuff. That is true. You're like, God... And his word is against homosexual behavior. And you start going aggressive and proud. You say, but there's an opportunity to repent through Jesus, but they probably won't. And so he's going to be against that deviance, and he's going to send them to hell. It's almost like a, a matter-of-fact, in-your-face, proud defense. And I kind of wonder, and I'm just asking the question, because I don't think it affects our culture much, but I'm just going to ask the question. A lot of what I'm hearing from Christians, maybe it's nationally, on this whole Chick-fil-A thing, I sometimes wonder if people are more interested in winning an argument or winning our American rights than they are about winning people to Christ. I'm just asking. 
And I'm just wondering, are we more interested in winning an argument, winning our American rights, than about winning people to Christ? We can have the right orthodoxy with no humility, no care or concern for the person. But I would say that most of you, that's not you. Most of you don't struggle with the bashing people peace. Most of you, I would say, um, if I can be just forthright, most of you struggle with um, orthodoxy. You have the humility down. You're more likely to, I, I would say, maybe you're more likely to conform to culture. So if someone asks you at work or at school about the Chick-fil-A thing, you may say, uh, I don't know, and you may have no convictions from the Word of God. You may not believe that things are right or wrong from the Word of God. You may hedge, but, but most of you won't do that. Most of you have the orthodoxy, but when you're asked the question, you want to be so humble that you wiggle out of giving an answer. Because you want to be humble, right? You don't want to get into a confrontation. And so if someone asks you a question, you're like, oh, it's America. People can have their own opinions. People can boycott if they want to boycott. People have the rights to do whatever they want, believe whatever they want. And though all of that may be true, if you do that, you are missing an opportunity for defense. You are missing an opportunity to share the gospel. And in the name of humility, of not wanting to get into tension with your neighbors and not wanting to get into tension with your coworkers, you're missing an opportunity for orthodoxy to bring the gospel. Because what we want is both humility and orthodoxy, humble orthodoxy. We want both. So what do you do when someone asks you flat out, What do you believe about this? And without wiggling out of it, without watering down the word, and without going off, what do you say? Well, there's a lot of things you could say, but perhaps it's a sound something like this. Hey, it's a good question. A lot of opinions out there, a lot of tensions. But if you you, you want, I'm going to tell you, not my opinion, I'm going to simply tell you what I believe the Word of God says. And so if you're open to taking the time for me to explain from the Bible a little bigger picture here, would you be open to that? And then say something like, hey, I'm not going off topic. Let's look at a bigger picture. And then what you should do, I really think, if, you, if they're patient, willing to listen, talk about the holiness of God. God is a holy God. He is righteous. He is perfect. And once you talk about a holy God, then you've got to talk, start talking about human beings. And what do we say when we talk about human beings? We are sinful people. And God determines what's sin, not us. We're not making stuff up. And so God, if he says homosexual behavior is sin from his word, it's sin. But he also says that heterosexual immorality, that's sin. He also says that lying is sin. So yes, we can talk about homosexual behavior being sin, absolutely, but we can talk about a lot of things being sin, but we want to push across the compassion and the love of God who saw, saw us in our sins and sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice to die for sinners. And he was buried and he rose again, and those who put their faith in him can be forgiven, can be changed. Now, at this point of the conversation... I've seen it happen all the time. At this point of the conversation, 
someone may actually acknowledge, okay, I acknowledge from the Bible that homosexual behavior is sin, but we're all sinners. You ever heard that before? We're all sinners. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. So why does it matter? And this is what I want you to listen. You say this. Yes, we all are sinners. But the issue is, who is the repentant sinner? Who is the repentant sinner? Those who are saved are repentant sinners. And they are forgiven by the grace of Jesus Christ. And at this point in the conversation, the person may get angry. But don't let it be because you are some arrogant punk. Let them get angry because orthodoxy, the word of God. Let's keep going. Let's finish up. It all ties together. Verse 16. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered and you will be slandered, I want to make sure you see that you will be slandered. Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Oh, that's so good. Because when you're in these conversations, if you're, in, if you're battling with someone, your conscience is not going to feel good. If you're being antagonistic and sarcastic and just shooting back at them, you're going to feel uneasy and inside, and you should. But what you want to do instead of being antagonistic is you want to honor Christ as Lord, Christ as holy, and engage others with gentleness and respect so that you can have a good conscience. And when you're slandered, may that other person be put to shame. Did you see it there? Let them be put to shame. Let, let, you, let revile you because of your, because be put to shame. May they be put to shame maybe by God whose wrath will be against them. Maybe they'll be put to shame by their culture who says, why are you going off on this guy? Or maybe they'll be put to shame inwardly and start to be maybe convinced of the truths of Christ. Whatever the put to shame looks like, your responsibility is humble orthodoxy. Stay right on that horse. Don't be falling off. Humble orthodoxy. You need both to engage. Now, I'm finishing up here. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna just share with you. I don't usually give application at the end, tack on, but today I'm going to. because there's, there's two things I really want you to think about as you engage people with the gospel of Jesus Christ in humble orthodoxy. So I'm going to, basically at the end here, I'm going I'm to share a couple of thoughts on how to do this. But before I do that, I have two assumptions. Before I share these two things, I have two assumptions, and maybe I'm wrong in assuming these things, but I'm assuming that those who are in this church, I'm making the assumption that you care about people who don't know Jesus. I'm making the assumption that you actually care enough that you want to engage them with the gospel. Neighbors, friends, family. I'm making that assumption that you're actually trying to engage them with the gospel. I hope I'm not assuming wrongly here. And I'm also making the assumption that you're trying to engage God's word. That you really want to know God's word. You're impacted by God's word. It changes you and impacts you. You're not perfect, but God's word is perfect. And you're engaging his word. So before I share anything, I'm assuming you're engaging people because you love them. And I'm assuming you're engaging with God's word. The orthodoxy is changing you. All right? Two things here at the end. One on the humble piece and one on the orthodoxy piece. It comes from a book that's a really good book. It's called uh, Tactics. Let me put this book up here. Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. Really good book. I would encourage you 
take a look at it because it's what it's doing. This book takes the gospel content and knowledge and shows how it can be fleshed out with wisdom. It talks about tactical skill, not tactical skill to smash people, but tactical skill in conversations on how to ask good questions on how to engage people with the gospel. So like I said, we're going to talk about the humble piece and the orthodoxy piece. Number one, humble piece, number one, keep your cool in conversations. Keep your cool in conversations. Gregory Kokel puts it like this. Look what he says. He says, if anyone in the discussion gets angry, you lose. If you get angry with the other person, impatient, trying to thrust your views across, that's done. They're not going to hear you anymore. But if the other person gets angry by the way that you're acting, it's over. I'm not saying people are never going to get angry, but let them get angry for the right reasons. If they get angry, let them get angry because of the truth of the gospel, not because of you and the way you're acting and the way you're treating them. So be careful of that. Keep your cool in conversations. You are representing God's truth. This is not your opinion. This is God's truth. So keep your cool. And the last thing is the orthodoxy piece. Put a pebble in someone's shoe. You can call it a stone if you want. Put a stone in someone's shoe. Put a pebble in someone's shoe. And and by this, we mean that when you're interacting with other people, give them some truth that's going to poke at them in some significant way to make them think about what's true. Our church planner in Rogers Park, Jeremiah Vaught, he's, he's a master at this. And when we go out sharing on the streets, he's always telling me, I'm, I'm putting a pebble in their shoe. And I, at first, I'm like, what are you talking about? But he talks about it over and over again. And, and, and this is what he means. When, sometimes when he interacts with people, I wonder why he doesn't give like a full-blown gospel com- you know, presentation. I'm like, man, why don't you just lay it all out? And he pulls back and says, I'm just putting a pebble there because sometimes some people are not ready for it. They're not ready for, they're not, you can just tell they're not open to hearing the whole thing. In fact, they might not even listen and they may even walk away while you're even giving it. But you can put a pebble in their shoe of truth to make them think about things. So for example, this is something we, we, we will see. We're asking someone some questions and they basically say that they do not like Christians And they do not like churches because Christians are hypocritical. You ever heard that before? Christians are hypocritical. And so when someone says Christians are hypocritical, we just kind of push back and we say, hey, man, most people are hypocritical. Most people say one thing and do something else. That's how the world operates. And then ask them, do you ever say one thing and do something else? And they say, yeah, maybe. But then we say, but there is one person who never did that. And his name was Jesus. And everything he said, he did. There was no contradiction. And so maybe that person's willing to speak more, but often not. But they go away from that conversation with a pebble in their shoe of a truth that kind of pokes at them that says, what? How is Jesus never hypocritical? What is he all about? And it just gets them thinking. And what we're trying to push across here is that God is sovereign in conversion. And different people play different parts in bringing people to salvation. That's what God does. I mean, just just think about in your life. 
Did you respond to the gospel the first time you heard it? No, probably not. Different people injected different truths at different times of your life, and God in his sovereignty brought you to salvation. So a lot of the conversations, sometimes we can push all the way through, but sometimes if we can sense there is some pushback and they don't want to talk anymore, just put a pebble on their shoe. My brothers and sisters, as we interact with one another in this church, we want to be people of humble orthodoxy. And we're going to be rooted and anchored in humble orthodoxy. And as we go out of here and we share the gospel, we want to be people of humble orthodoxy for the glory of God. Let's pray. Jesus, you are completely humble as you have stepped down from heaven to this sinful world and you died a death on a cross and you were exalted to heaven. You are a savior and you bring orthodoxy to us. You bring truth to us and you confront us in our sin. And we look to you as one who's completely humble and orthodox. And we ask for wisdom to interact with one another with the truth, that we can speak the truth and love to one another, and we can speak the truth and love to those who don't don't know Jesus. Forgive us for our arrogance. Forgive us for those times we did not represent the truth. Forgive us those times we actually just avoided situations altogether. So we ask for the ability to set you apart as Lord, to set you apart as holy in our hearts, so that we can engage others, people that you love, people that you desire to come to know you, and we can engage them with truth and love, with your humble orthodoxy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.